bringing you the latest in tax credit news, this is Tax Credit Tuesday with your host, Michael Novogratik. Hello, I'm Michael Novogratik, and this is Tax Credit Tuesday. Today is Tuesday, January 29, 2019. This is the 30th year in our firm's history, and this week marks the 19th anniversary of when we published the first edition of the Novogratik Historic Rehabilitation Handbook. That was February 1, 2000, to be exact. We also, as you may know, have handbooks on the Low Income Housing Tax Credit, New Markets Tax Credit, and Renewable Energy Tax Credits. And we just recently published the first Opportunity Zones Handbook. The most recent historic tax credit handbook was published last October, and it was updated to reflect changes made by the tax reform legislation that was enacted in December of 2017. Thanks to everyone who helped with the book, and especially to those of you who have purchased your copies over the years. Now, turning to this week's podcast, we have lots of exciting news to share with you, including background on the agreement to temporarily reopen the federal government, information on a letter that was sent to Treasury by the co-sponsors of the Investing in Opportunity Act. That's the act that ultimately led to the creation of Opportunity Zones. Also, information on a proposal to index capital gains for inflation, as well as highlights from our new markets tax credit conference held in San Diego last week. Even more, I have state legislation news and highlights of an important affordable housing report. If you're ready, let's get started. In government shutdown news, as you certainly heard, the federal government is reopened after the longest shutdown in history. President Donald Trump and Democrats reached an agreement last Friday to reopen the government. That was after a 35-day partial shutdown. However, unfortunately, it's a short-term solution. The continuing resolution that opened the government only funds the government through February 15th. That's 17 days from now. Still, the agreement means the parts of the government that were shuttered are now open again. That includes HUD, Department of Housing and Urban Development, and Treasury, including the CDFI fund. The shutdown affected affordable housing programs that serve more than 4 million Americans. During the shutdown, more than 1,000 HUD housing contracts expired. 525 more were set to expire this Thursday, which is January 31st. Now, presumably, those contracts will be renewed and funded. The shutdown also stopped the CDFI fund's progress on new markets tax allocations. I'll touch on a timeline for that in a bit. The 2018 Capital Magnet Fund awards are delayed as well. Now, the shutdown also delayed, at least to some extent, the path to the next tranche of guidance concerning the Opportunity Zones incentive. Now, President Trump insisted on funding for border wall with Mexico in order to open the government, but he didn't get it. However, talks over wall funding will continue over the next few weeks. In Trump's announcement of the deal on Friday, he indicated the possibility of another government shutdown in February. He also could declare a national emergency and bypass Congress for funding for a wall. Now, with the government back at work, it's important to remember that HUD and other agencies now have to catch up on their missed work, which means their work will get done, but much of it will be delayed. And this disagreement on funding is far from over. Now, we're going to see what happens in the next few weeks, but remember, there's just a new deadline now, and that date is February 15th. 
While members of Congress were focused on ending the partial government shutdown last week, it wasn't the only issue they were focused on. Seven senators and nine members of the House issued a letter to Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin concerning guidance on the Opportunity Zones. The authors were original co-sponsors of the Investing in Opportunity Act, legislation that was the forerunner of the Opportunity Zones incentive. The letter asked Treasury to provide clarity on several issues. The letter asked Treasury to remove the requirement that an Opportunity Zone business derives 50% of its gross income from the active conduct of a trader business in the Opportunity Zone. This in the Opportunity Zone requirement is difficult for businesses that operate outside of a single census tract, and the requirement also adds a significant burden to determine, track, and report the location of each source of business income. The authors asked that instead, Treasury simply require that the Opportunity Zone's business derive at least half of its gross income from the active conduct of its trader business and remove the in the Opportunity Zone requirement, which many, myself included, think is the better reading of the statute as drafted. Now, the letter also asks for guidance that provides more flexibility in timing for Opportunity Funds to make an investment. The letter further asks for clarification that Opportunity Fund level investment activity shouldn't disallow the tax benefit to investors who remain in the fund for 10 years. This is the interim gains issue that we refer to quite a bit in the Opportunity Zones working group calls. Now, the reason for this desire to avoid interim gains being taxed is because there will often be turnover in investments of an Opportunity Fund, with some investments being sold and additional investments being made. The letter requests that the incentive be tied to the investor stake in the Opportunity Fund rather than the Opportunity Fund stake in a particular portfolio investment. And finally, the letter did ask for Treasury to include reporting requirements in its next set of guidance. Now, we do expect Treasury to release its second tranche of guidance sometime over the next 15 to 45 days. I know that's a wide range, but Treasury has to wrap up the regulations and then send them to OIRA to go through a review. And it's hard to know how long that process will take most likely more than 10 days there by itself. Now, I have included a link to the letter in today's show notes. If you have any thoughts, send out a tweet on Twitter, include my name, my Twitter handle, at Novogratik, and I'd be interested in hearing those thoughts. Now, in other tax policy tax news, a coalition of more than 50 conservative groups have asked President Trump to index the basis of assets for inflation for purposes of calculating capital gains. Now, the proposal, obviously, by increasing the basis of assets for inflation, would reduce taxable capital gains. Now, the basic idea is to index the gains to inflation to allow the original purchase price to move up with inflation. Now, they could investors could then apply this inflation adjuster to what they paid for the property, which would then narrow the profit when they sell. Obviously, as I noted, reducing capital gains and reducing their capital gains taxes if the assets were sold in a taxable transaction. Now, the idea hasn't been universally popular by any stretch. One study says that two-thirds of the savings from this move would go to the top one-tenth of one percent of U.S. taxpayers. Proposals like that don't generally receive universal acceptance. Now, other parts of the tax code are indexed for inflation, I should note that capital gains taxes have been in the tax code for a century without any inflation adjuster. 
The IRS in 1957 defined cost, the base of the investment, as the price paid for the assets with no adjustment for inflation. Now, as a consequence, when inflation does hit, taxpayers do face larger tax bills on capital gains. Now, the central point of this request of the president isn't that the president include such a provision in a budget or propose Congress introduce legislation to index assets for inflation. It's that the president could impose the change through executive action, through regulatory action, without the consent of Congress. Now, there's obviously disagreement as to whether the president could impose such a change without the consent of Congress. Now, we will keep an eye on this going forward. And as a tax accountant, it's certainly intriguing to think what the impact adjusting the basis of assets for inflation would have on the actions of taxpayers. Certainly, there would probably be a few less like-kind exchanges, fewer installment sales. There might also be less, or there certainly would be less capital gains to invest in opportunity zones. But it's unclear also how that would interact with depreciation calculations and the like. That being said, we at Novogratic won't spend a great deal of effort thinking through those complications and implications, absent any sense that President Trump will move forward independent of the consent of Congress. As such, we'll keep an eye on this going forward and report back as conditions warrant. Let's turn now to our conference that we held in San Diego last week. Many of you were with us at our New Markets Tax Credit Conference in San Diego. It was actually our 16th year holding the annual event in San Diego. We had many hot topics to discuss, from the effects of the partial government shutdown to the potential for extending the New Markets Tax Credit beyond 2019. Now, Novogratz's Bob Ibanez was the New Markets Tax Credit Program Manager at the CDFI Fund for many years. He talked about how the CDFI Fund was furloughed, except for the Capital Magnet Fund staff who were paid through a different appropriations process. Now, the New Markets Tax Credit staff was furloughed, which meant that there was no help desk assistance, no awards management information system or AMIS assistance, and a pause on processing the New Markets Tax Credit allocation awards. Now, Bob said that when the government shut down at the end of December 2018, the New Markets Tax Credit team at the CDFI Fund was somewhere in Phase 2 of the awards determination process. He said that before the shutdown, the CDFI Fund had expected to make award announcements in February. Each day that the government was shut down probably means actually adding more than one day of delay to the awards announcement. This means that the government remains open, assuming they get past the February deadline for this short-term extension, this short-term funding. Well, if the government does remain open, the best-case scenario would likely be a late March or early April allocation announcement. Now, we also had some interesting discussions during our Washington report panel. I was joined on that panel by Bob Raposa of Raposa Associates, Jeff McMillan of Aiken Gump, and Merrill Hubengardner of NTCIC. All of my co-panelists are strong advocates for the New Markets Tax Credit in Washington. They work with legislators and congressional staff to ensure that the staff and the legislators understand the importance of the New Markets Tax Credit. So it was great having them there to share their perspectives on extending the New Markets Tax Credit as well as possible vehicles for such extensions. Now, as I'm sure you're aware, 
the new market's tax credit does expire at the end of 2019. So supporters of the credit are trying to find a way to extend the credit, or better yet, make the credit permanent this year, as well as increase the annual volume. Now, my co-panelists said that the partisan nature of a tax reform technical corrections bill has a very difficult path forward. So it's very unlikely to be any type of a vehicle for a new markets tax credit extension. Now, investment in infrastructure does have bipartisan support, but Jeff McMillan did point out that infrastructure does not have a universal definition, so it's unclear what a final infrastructure package would look like. That means it's unclear whether it makes sense to think that the infrastructure type package would be a good vehicle for new market tax credit extender legislation. Now, one other possible vehicle is legislation to address the March 1 expiration of the debt ceiling. Now, while the debt ceiling suspension does expire March 1, Treasury does have or should be able to employ what are called extraordinary measures. That allows them to avoid breaching the debt limit until August or September. This analysis according to the Bipartisan Policy Center. Now, Congress is expected to act to address the debt limit before that roughly August or September deadline, but there is another vehicle that seemed to be the consensus choice as the most likely vehicle for extending the new market tax credit. And that won't come as much of a surprise. It's a tax extenders bill. As we mentioned before, Congress didn't act on extenders at the end of 2018. So there are a number of extenders that have expired for 2018. And House Ways and Means Committee Chairman Richard Neal of Massachusetts and Senate Finance Committee Chairman Chuck Grassley of Iowa both pledged to address those expired extenders early this year. Now, another topic that we discussed was the critical need for continued advocacy for the new markets tax credit. Merrill Hoopengardner presented some information that I think was a surprise to many of our attendees. Now, compared to January 2009, guess what percent of the Senate and the House are still in office today? Well, if you go back and look at January of 2009, only 46% of the Senate is still there. If you look at the House, only 28% of those in the House in January of 2009 are still in office today. That's right, less than half of the Senate and less than a third of the House have been around for 10 years. Now, Merrill did also talk about how new market tax credit supporters should never be complacent. They can't assume that Congress knows all about the incentive. On that note, Bob Raposa and the New Market Tax Credit Coalition are leading a sign-on letter, a letter to Congress in support of extending and expanding the New Market Tax Credit. The New Market Tax Credit Coalition circulated a version of the letter the past few years. The 2017 version had more than 2,100 signatures. Now, even if you've signed the letter in the past, the coalition does ask that you sign again this year. And, as you may have heard me at the conference say, more is more. Now, I have tweeted a link to the sign-on letter through my Twitter handle, at Novogratik. Please, take a moment to sign the letter and retweet my post to encourage others to sign. And on the subject of education advocacy, my co-panelists and I also talked about making sure that policymakers know the unique benefits of the new Marcus Tax Credit Incentive. That's especially important in light of the newer Opportunity Zones incentive. Now, there is a fear that legislatures might mistakenly think that Opportunity Zones could replace the new market tax credit, 
And we just wanted to emphasize that Opportunity Zones and the New Markets Tax Credit are complementary incentives. They're not meant to replace each other. They're meant to complement each other. I want to also say thank you to everyone who joined us at the conference last week. Now, as promised, I do have other news. The House Ways and Means Committee has established a special subcommittee to take testimony on areas of special national interest that aren't specifically covered by another committee. Now, one of those special issues that this special subcommittee could consider is infrastructure. This, according to the chairman of the House Ways and Means Committee, Representative Richard Neal. Now, meanwhile, a coalition of national organizations released a report last week calling for an expansion of federal assistance to address the affordable housing crisis. Among other things, the Opportunity Starts at Home campaign proposes expanding housing choice vouchers. The report specifically calls for the creation of 500,000 Opportunity vouchers over the next five years. These Opportunity vouchers would be designed to help families with young children expand access to good neighborhoods with strong schools and better job prospects. The report also called for more investment in programs such as the National Housing Trust Fund, as well as the creation of a new national program to provide temporary assistance to help cover rent for households that experience what it calls, and I quote, unexpected economic shocks, end quote. The report is called Within Reach, and I included a link in today's show notes. Also, in other news, legislatures in two states introduced bills to create historic tax credits. In Michigan, a bill would reinstate the state historic tax credit that was zeroed out in 2011. If restored, the credit would be 25% of qualified rehabilitation expenditures and would be effective at the start of this year. Michigan had a state historic tax credit from 1999 until 2011, when it was defunded due, at least in part, to the Great Recession. Meanwhile, legislation was introduced in Hawaii to create an historic tax credit there. The Hawaii credit would be 25%, but it would jump to 30% if the project included an affordable housing element. The Hawaii credit would be effective at the start of 2020. And in other state legislative news, a bill was introduced to bring back the expired Florida Enterprise Zones Act, but rename it and pair it with the Federal Opportunity Zones incentive. The incentive would be called the Florida Opportunity Act and would change the definition of enterprise zones to match the definition of Federal Opportunity Zones. Now, there are several tax credits involved in the incentive, and this legislation would require applicants to indicate how other Opportunity Zone incentives would be used. Now, I'll keep you posted on all these bills as they progress. Well, that brings you to the end of this week's report. I do want to invite you, though, to participate in our Local Housing Tax Credit Basics webinar this week. If you're new to affordable housing or you want to brush up on the latest news, latest updates, you can take part in the webinar. It's going to be held this Friday, starting at 10 a.m. Pacific Time. I have included the registration link in today's show notes, and I will also tweet out the link. That's it for now. I'm Michael Novogratik. Thanks for listening. This weekly podcast has been brought to you by Novogratik and Company, LLP. Archived podcasts are available online at www.novaco.com forward slash podcast or by subscribing to the Tax Credit Tuesday podcast in iTunes. You can find related links referenced in this podcast in our show notes at www.novaco.com forward slash podcast. 
Novograd & Company LLP is a national certified public accounting and consulting firm with offices nationwide. Learn more about our professional services at www.novaco.com.